0: Really, it was rolled out to serve the community. You ask the community, and they're just delighted.
1: Welcome to Episode 392 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. Longmont, Colorado's Next Light Fiber to the Home Network has often been in the spotlight as an example of what a local community can accomplish with publicly owned Internet network infrastructure. This week, Director Valerie Dodd visits with Christopher. Christopher. Christopher and Valerie look back at the decisions the city made that have paid off and how they've dealt with specific challenges. They discuss accomplishments, including an incredible take rate, and how putting subscribers first has helped them achieve glowing reviews. They also talk about the city's digital inclusion efforts and what's next in expanding access. Now here's Christopher talking with Valerie Dodd from Next Light in Longmont, Colorado
2: welcome to another episode of the community broadband bits podcast i'm chris mitchell for the institute for local self-reliance in saint paul recording from home today where i just have to brag about this we're about to get six to ten inches of snow and i'm just so excited and i'm talking to someone who knows that same feeling uh valerie dodd the director of next light in longmont colorado welcome to the show
0: Thank you so much Chris. I'm super happy to be here and are you suggesting that we may be getting 6 inches of snow tonight?
2: No, but in the time between I'm recording this and the time in which it airs, it's possible that you'll get a foot of snow. I you know, you never know what's going to happen. <laughs>
0: Well, I sure hope so, because I've got a three-day weekend, and the Snow Mountain's near me, and I'm excited about
2: it. (laughs) So let's start off by just, uh, for people who aren't that familiar with Longmont, um, incredibly fast-growing city, just fascinating place. But can you give us the 30-second sketch of what Longmont is?
0: Longmonts, a community in kind of the foothills, front range area of northern, north central Colorado. Um, We have a wonderful view of the mountains just to the west. We've got a population of around around 100,000. It's a very progressive town, and it's also a very diverse city. Um, You mentioned it was fast growing, and I think that's a result of a lot of the decisions that our city leaders and the community have made, and one of those being uh, the uh, establishment of a gigabit fiber network.
2: Right. And that fiber network uh, the first started being discussed in 2009 with a referendum, but um, really kicked off a lot of other things in the, both the Front Range and in Colorado more generally. Uh, the first uh, citywide fiber network in the state uh, from a uh, municipality. Um, but you just had some hard news and I hope you're, you're taking it OK in terms of uh, I think over the summer you went from being the fastest in the nation to the third in the nation um, by uh, PC Magazine. So I hope you didn't take that too hard.
0: We can live with that. Providing a gigabit internet service to every eligible household in the community is a pretty big deal. So uh, I think we're okay.
2: And you yourself are probably settled in now, but um, you're new to the position. Can you just tell us a little bit about your background?
0: So I started with uh, the city of Longmont back in August of this year. I previously had been at CenturyLink for about 18 years. Prior to that, I had worked for a startup CLEC company, and I had also worked for Alltel Wireless Communication, which then sold their wireless off to Verizon, and the wireline part of the business became um, Windstream. So I've been in the business 25-plus years, and... uh, you know rolled out and was responsible for uh, one of the first broadband internet product offerings back when we were charging about $50 for 256k so things have changed dramatically. So now we're doing a, you know, $69 offer for a gigabit. you know. So um, I've seen a ton of change over the years. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, the right thing to do is just to take good care of your customers.
2: So I, I, I was curious, as someone who's spent a long time at CenturyLink, CenturyLink is now a competitor of yours. Um, was, it, was it hard to, to make that jump?
0: Um, I wouldn't say it was hard. Um, I gained a tremendous amount of experience um, in the previous roles that I served there. But there is a huge difference. For one, I have a tremendous network and product I get to sell. Um, While I was at The other uh, provider, (laughs) I I hate not to mention it too often, Um, we did not have the fortune of a 100% fiber network. Uh, We were just starting to put fiber into new greenfield territories uh, because you really couldn't afford to overbuild a copper network. So, for one, did not have the benefit of the delightful gigabit speeds that we have here. Secondly, In this environment, it's really about the community. It's not about the bottom line. And so from those two aspects, it's a wonderful place to be, and uh, it's really something I take a lot of pride in is that we're able to provide exceptional service and make it available to every neighborhood, every block, and every customer because that's what we're here to do. We're not here to make money. We're here to provide an exceptional service for our community.
2: And I think it's it's worth noting you're in good company because uh, many of the municipal networks have people on staff and are headed by, in, in many cases, people that have that, that sort of experience of having worked for um, other large companies and have a deep history in um, telecom. But let's talk about Longmont, like you were pivoting back to. You have more than 20,000 customers connected in the article that announced um, your arrival. And so uh, I just think that's, it's tremendous. I mean, to be in, at, at a place in which you have more than half of the community connected um, in this period of time is just remarkable. And so I'm curious if you want to give us the most recent uh, information you can about, about how many connections you have and, um, you know, any reflections on how remarkable that is.
0: Yeah, it's very remarkable, and um, I'm so proud and lucky to walk into this position with such success. Uh, We're now up to about 20,600 customers. Uh, We're growing every day. We hope to have about 22,000 by the end of the year, Uh, so that's something we're super proud of. Every day, we continue to enable more households. Um, We're still not 100% uh, finished with our initial build, but in five years, we're able to uh, pass and establish fiber access to about 80, 85% of the premises out there. So we think we'll probably be finished here um, in the next year or so with a few thousand more turn ups. So we're real proud of uh, the, the work that we've done, the success we've had. Uh, considering that we have two other, you know, formidable competitors in the marketplace, the fact that, you know, we're pushing 60% penetration is is remarkable. And, you know, and if you back out those households that don't have at-home internet, which I'm hoping to address at some point, but if you back those out of the equation, then our penetration really effective market share and penetration is closer to 65, 70%. So that tells you how well received the service offering is. It speaks to our extreme reliability, um, which really hovers between five nines and 100% network reliability. And and then you know our customers continue to do speed tests and be overwhelmed with you know the, the fact they're actually getting what they signed up for. Well,
2: let's talk uh, briefly about the charter membership um, because one of the the stats that I saw um, in in reviewing uh, your remarkable achievements, I think I've just said remarkable remarkable number of times, but is that more than ninety percent of your subscribers um, have the charter membership? Which to me, I'm stunned. We haven't seen more municipal networks or even small ISPs adopt this approach. Uh, Would you mind just walking us through it and and your reflections on it?
0: Honestly, I'm not sure if it's still around 90% or not, um, but it it probably is close to that. Um, But Longmont um, does have a or does have the benefit of a growing community? So as we have more people moving into the community, we'll have you know more first-time customers that are moving into an established resident or a new MDU. So they may not be getting that new discounted rate. So if that ninety percent drops, it's probably because just the community is growing.
2: Right. The charter membership was a. Uh... I, I saw it as kind of a, a marketing um, deal, brilliant, which was that if you sign up for the first uh, for the service within the first three months it's available, then you have this lifetime low price. And what that did was it it, it changed the incentive. For many people, they'll take, a, and when a new provider comes to town, they'll take the incumbent's lower price and a contract for a year or two. And that's just really harmful for any new network. And so you really flipped the tables on that and, and brought so many new people online right away. Way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's a very sticky offer and you keep that price um, even if you do relocate your address. So you get to keep that price. And if you were to disconnect service, you wouldn't be able to come back and get that price. So it was a very um, tactical strategic marketing um, price point for us. And then the other thing it did is it created a huge wave of really satisfied customers in a given geographic area. And so as soon as they get their service at this amazing speed, you're darn right they told every customer on the block. And I wasn't here during those times, but I think that the call center was flooded with orders The technicians were quite busy, and even our network was kind of surprised, I think, (laughs) to see such high take rates. And, you know, so we didn't have capacity challenges, but we kind of had concerns. It's like, oh, wow, we didn't anticipate 100% penetration and success, you know, in a given block or area. So we've had to make some modifications with the network because of that. So. It was a very overly effective um, offer that the team put together.
2: Well, I want to turn to the digital divide in a second, but I realized I forgot to ask you um, the, the question about, you mentioned you haven't finished building out yet. Um, is that due to just the, the fact that in any city you have a number of presumably even apartment buildings and other things that are just hard to get to, condos and things like that? Is that is that the challenge you're wrestling with to finish the build?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for one, it's been a lot of work, and the team uh, worked furiously, and you know, it was pretty phenomenal what they did do in the five-year span. But you're absolutely right that there are some areas of town that might be an MDU, it might be a trailer park where they have an agreement or a marketing arrangement with another provider, um, such that they're they've got an income stream, so they have not been as willing to sign access agreements with us, so we haven't been able to get in. But the sad thing is, those residents will come to city council meetings, they'll call us and just say, is there anything you can do? You know, I really want your service. But if, you know, if we don't have the access agreement, then it's prohibitable." So that's a, a large part of the issue. So we may never get to 100%. Secondly, as I mentioned earlier, the city of Longmont is growing at a, you know, pretty rapid pace. And so it's oftentimes hard to keep up with all the new development. And we certainly are you know, planning to be in every MDU that's in, in construction phase right now. So it's just hard to get to 100%.
2: And to stay there, no doubt. But talking about the number of people that would like service, but there's barriers in the way, uh, let's talk about what you've already done on the digital divide and then uh, what might be in store in the future. Uh, you, have a, you have an innovative program that I haven't seen elsewhere that I'm excited to, to get a sense of how it's going. Um, can you tell us about it?
0: I would love to. It's called Sharing the Next Light. And it is a program that was born last year, 2019. And it was for the purpose of making sure that every uh, household has access to internet, especially those with children, because we know how important the digital world has become um, from certainly an economic and educational perspective. And so we have uh, made this free internet service available to uh, certain qualifying households that have children in the St. Vrain Valley School District. And so we work with other organizations throughout the city to identify those eligible households. And then we work with the Longmont Community Foundation uh, to help kind of co-fund that free internet service for those households so that um, no child is left behind with um, regard to the digital era. So that is certainly one thing that we're doing. We've got about 160 people benefiting from it. It's a um, a very new program. So we're working uh, to partner with other organizations to make sure that we increase and um, expand that because it's really important to us.
2: So how does the actual funding stream work for that program?
0: We have... Uh, customers uh, that are in the community that may contribute a portion of their bill payment every month. They can earmark that for this program. And so the dollar, the fund is provided for or funded by local residents and customers. And then it's also co-funded by the Longmont Community Foundation. And so those two funds are kind of put together and then the assessment is made as to how many households we can provide uh, the internet service to. And how-
2: how do you, did you send out a, a flyer, a notice with the bill, or how did you make people aware of it? And have you had any reaction from folks um, as they're uh, participating in it?
0: Absolutely. Um, we've had tremendous response to it, and it really makes people in the community feel even more connected to the rest of their community. They feel great about it. The recipients are incredibly grateful for it. Um, And, you know, the good news is uh, the schools now are distributing devices and iPads so that, you know, students have access, but they have, you know, the device, but not always the connectivity at their home. So um, it's just been overwhelmingly uh, well-received. We've promoted it uh, numerous ways, and we currently have a link on our website where you can go and... Click to hear more information and also existing customers can call us to find out how they can contribute more um, towards that fund in that effort. We're really, really fixated on having a fully connected Longmont that really provides resources for everyone in the community because we know how important they are.
2: Well, and you were going to go further in terms of talking about what other plans you have and what you're working on when I cut you off earlier to ask more questions about the first program, so let's get back to that.
0: As we do the analysis and we see where we have great penetration and then maybe we're a little bit lower than average on penetration, you know, it's a few maybe neighborhoods or some that are economic Oppressed. So, aside from the program, the sharing the next light that we discussed, another thing that we we're looking at implementing is just a reduced rate with probably a little bit of a reduced speed, not the one gigabit, um, that other families that may not qualify for the free internet service through shared the light, uh, sharing the next light. And so that might be, you know, a twenty dollar offer for a 25-meg service offering, you know, that's maybe not symmetrical, but it's available to other uh, low-income households. So that's something that's uh, very important to us. One thing that I'm still trying to noodle through, and that is um, if we will be able to participate in a program that the FCC has called Lifeline and Basic Internet. uh, Basically, the FCC for um, ETC or eligible telecom carriers data companies or enterprises can participate in this program where you get a $10 discount. Um, So it's basically it is a subsidy from the federal government that we can pass through to our customers that are low-income qualifying households. And so there's discussion that that program may be going away. And so that's one of those uh, policy issues that I want to uh, become more vocal about because that would be very helpful for us to be able to pass that $10 discount through to um, area residents.
2: Yeah, I think many people would like to see that program designed in a way that, for instance, if you're – serving, um, uh, you know, for instance, a, a, um, an apartment building that has many low income folks that you'd be able to very easily um, apply that to all of them. There's ways not just to actually just continue, program continues as it is, but to to hope that it would be designed in a way that a provider like you um, could even do better with it and, and get it stretch it further, I think.
0: Right, and and we can kind of cost justify it because, you know, the bulk of the investment has been sunk, you know, and um, so we might as well get as many local community people online as possible. Not only is that, you know, bringing revenue to help us pay the bond, which we'll have paid back in 2029, but it also really connects the entire community and helps, you know, foster goodness and, you know, economic hope and educational opportunities. So it's really a wonderful thing.
2: Well and you just you just snuck in the, the payment or the debt. Is that ahead of schedule?
0: I think that's what we've committed to all along and um we are confident that we can meet that schedule.
2: Okay. Excellent. I just um I think it's worth noting, I mean, almost all of these networks, um, I'm sure that you've been accused by some of of um, not being successful, of being a failure by people who are ideologically opposed to cities doing this sort of a thing. And I really like to note that, um, you know, that your networks are financially solvent and that you are paying all your debts on time and in some cases early. But let's talk about something else that I I think some people who are getting more involved with municipal networks may not know today. And that's that one of the, the biggest bets that I think Longmont took when it first launched was that it did not need to include a linear cable channel, like uh, which is to say, you know, you didn't have to build a head end and include uh, channel contracts and and deal with all those, those sorts of things. You decided that you would sell gigabit, high quality internet access, and that would be good enough. And boy, that's really you've really demonstrated that you can do that.
0: Uh, absolutely. And, you know, as long as I've been sort of in the broadband business, we've thought a lot about really the primary thing is getting the connection into the home and making sure it's a good fat pipe. And so... We don't want to make assumptions about what consumers want or what the future holds. There is so much change about the way people are consuming entertainment and content and video, et cetera. And so I think it was a brilliant decision by the city. Um, I've seen other carriers get into, you know, the IPTV enterprise or, you know, other Uh, video um, approaches, and it's so capital intensive. You know, you can spend hundreds of millions of dollars on content in the head end, and so it's really cost prohibitive. I think it makes so much more sense to provide the enabling pipe with, you know, limitless, virtually limitless capacity and let people bring their own video and content, however they so choose.
2: Now, when you launched that, there was, um, at one point, you had a guide of how people could stream video. Um, there was talk about, and I think there was a partnership with a company called, maybe it was Layer 3 or, or something like that. Um, what is happening today? Is there a most common way that people will uh, access, you know, for instance, to watch the Rockies or the Avalanche or something like that? Um, will they um, use a, a, a common video platform or is it all over the map.
0: There's a lot of stuff that's all over the map, and and we do look at utilization on a regular basis and and see what's kind of consuming some of the bandwidth, and, you know, the good news is we've got tons of headroom still on bandwidth, which is great, but, you know, the usual suspects are always there. You know, Netflix is always predominant, so there's, you know, a lot of streaming going on. Um, We don't do a lot of granular analysis. Um, We want to make sure that we understand the utilization trends, and we continue to build out and add capacity in our network so that we can accommodate those changing trends trends, Um, but we feel very confident that we're doing the right thing, Um, and really the next phase of, you know, what we're doing is, you know, continue to fortify the network and and ensure its reliability and uh, excessive capacity, but it's also about teaching and educating the community. So, it's not just about, okay, we provided you the pipe, but that's not good enough. We want to go now and educate people if it's you know the, uh, the aging population. You know we've got a silver tsunami. How do we get in front of those people and say, "Hey, did you know that if you can't make it to the doctor, you can use this iPad and your internet connection and do virtual doctor visits. Did you know um, you know for maybe students that you can take online coursework? And so we want to make sure that we're really teaching and educating people how to use that gigabit connection and let them choose how it works best for them and meets their needs for, you know, other resources so that they can have a fuller, more robust life.
2: Well, let me ask you a question in a different vein. I mean, I feel like, especially with your your last answer, talking about your desire to really um, make sure people have a sense of the opportunity, it answers itself. But but if I was to come in and I was to say, okay, I don't care about any of the things that we've talked about for the past 25 minutes, how do I know that this was a smart decision for the city to get into um, providing Internet access?
0: Yeah, I mean, my first answer is, you know, go on Facebook or next door and look at the overwhelming comments about, how much people love us. It is just, it's embarrassing almost. (laughs) Wow. Really, it was rolled out to serve the community. You ask the community and they're just delighted. I'm just super overwhelmed with how pleased and the actual speeds, the reliability, the customer service people are here. They're local. They're bilingual. Um, They are so helpful. You can walk in and talk to somebody face-to-face. You can call in. You can get online. Um, So there's so many ways to do business with us. We're making it easy for the customers to do business with us, which makes them very happy and grateful we have the service. They propagate the great story that we have, and so honestly, Chris, we have been taking orders for the last five years, and we continue to be so successful. Now, you know, we might have to start doing a little more targeted marketing and making sure, as I mentioned earlier, that we're assessing people's needs and we're addressing the low-income people, maybe addressing the nonprofit community, the startup community, and making sure that we're truly getting everyone online, but um, I think the numbers speak for themselves. The customer comments speak for themselves.
2: Now, have you considered moving um, an off- starting to offer service to some of the, the pockets nearby that are outside city limits? Uh, and I know that's always a, a challenging question when you are not able to serve 100%, um, even if residents – they may intellectually understand that their landlord is standing between them and the connection, but if they if they start to see you serving others, it can get frustrating. So I know it's a hard decision, but i'm I'm curious if you can share any thinking on that.
0: There is overwhelming demand in the peripheral communities um, to Longmont. And, you know, people are just clamoring for our service. Um, as you mentioned, you know, our first obligation is to Longmont. So when we feel like we have, you know, pacified that obligation and, and built to everyone, you know, for, with whom we could get access rights, then we will certainly consider that. Want to make sure that, you know, people in Longmont aren't paying to serve those outlying communities and that we, you know, do keep things solvent, but instead that, you know, maybe we can leverage some of the assets we have to provide a great service to neighboring communities that may not otherwise have it, while also bringing some money back to the city of Longmont. So I do think we are open to that. We're not to that point yet, but it's certainly something that we're discussing.
2: Yes. And I, and, and for people who aren't familiar, you've got um, some interesting uh, competition in that potentially. I, I could imagine that in five years, you see between you, Loveland, Estes Park, and Fort Collins, um, you know, sort of <laughs> competing over who's gonna connect the left behind areas. Um, but let me ask you the... the... That,
0: that would be a great problem for those communities. <laughs> <laughs> right,
2: yeah, I can just imagine a, I can just imagine that those city council meetings with you each uh, giving your presentations and trying to be very polite to each other, but yet also highlighting why you're better.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I think probably um, geographics, you know, will drive a lot of that decision, And then, honestly, we're well ahead of the surrounding communities. We wish them great success, and we do partner with them, and you know, we share best practices. Um, But we certainly are a lot further
2: down the road. The, the last thing I wanted to ask you about was that um, our previous interview, I think, with Longmont was um, Tom Roniotis, who, um, who has retired, a wonderful general manager. Uh, when the, the utility was moving forward, it now has a director of electric service, and you're the director of Nextlight. And I'm, I'm curious if you can share the thinking in terms of having a different director for these two important services.
0: Yeah, um, I can give you my perspective. Uh, of course, our um, city manager, I think, really led that decision. But, you know, while the two are similar in, in that you have to have, you know, commonplace uh, infrastructure, we share pathways and, and some resources to to build the network. But when you look at operating the businesses, they're very different. The electric side, the power side is you know, truly a utility, and they take orders for service. They don't have any competition. On our side, you know, for one, it's a little bit more dynamic um, than is the electric um, power side of the house, and so it's a very dynamic, highly competitive industry and a really important one. Um, We're not quite a utility and we certainly we have been taking orders because our service offering has been so valuable and and so reliable and and well appreciated um, but I think the recognition was that we need to run this differently. and and I, I think I was brought in because I do have a business perspective, and meaning I want to make sure that we're ensuring operational efficiencies. We're paying back the bond you know on time, if not early. We're incredibly judicious about how we spend our money. And that, you know, policy, practices, standards, all of those things are super important. But maybe even the most important thing is the customer experience. And so a competitive environment, sometimes at the end of the day, it's the customer experience that makes a difference between uh, going with one carrier or another. And so um, I'm here to make absolutely certain that our processes are easy, our customer journey um, is, is easy. Again, simple to do business with us and that we delight our customers every step of that journey and then by providing you know, an exceptional product. And
2: do you still share employees, for instance, uh, the people who answer the phones or is that also being separated?
0: Um, it is separated. Um, again, on this side of the house, I think we really need a sales-oriented and customer-oriented um, group. Not that we don't want customer-oriented people on the other side, we certainly do, but there is um, some Salesmanship that's required, qualifying. We have different service offerings. It's not just do you want power, yes or no. (laughs) It's what speed is best for you. Do you need phone service? So there's some different skill sets that are required.
2: Great. Yeah, and we've seen different utilities um, manage those challenges in different ways. So I just like to highlight that for people to understand that they should be looking at uh, what works best for them and that uh, this is a a model that's working very well for you. So I really want to thank you for your time time, and I've really enjoyed this uh, this interview catching up on what's happening in Longmont.
0: Thank you so much for the opportunity. We're really proud of NextLight and are happy to always share our story. So thank you, and send the snow our direction.
1: That was Christopher with Valerie Dodd, the director of NextLight, Longmont's Colorado Municipal Fiber Network. Be sure to check out the Longmont tag on muninetworks.org to learn more. We have many stories on NextLight and the community of Longmont. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Send us an email at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show and follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this podcast and the other podcasts from ILSR, Building Local Power and the Local Energy Rules podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives as you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ilsr.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount helps keep us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song "Warm Duck Shuffle" licensed to Creative Commons. This was episode 392 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening.